In these dark and troubled times, I always like to begin this program with a little lighthearted comedy to put a sparkle in your eye and a spring in your step. So in that blithe spirit, let's talk about the Iranian nuclear scientist who was assassinated by a 62-man hit squad who were definitely not Israelis, but just happened to be able to do a perfect imitation of the Netflix show Fauda while bumping off the head of a nuclear program designed to blow Israel off the face of the earth. Now, some of you might say, oh, Clavin, you poor lost soul. How can you not only laugh at the death of a fellow human being, but laugh until your stomach hurts and tears stream down your cheeks while you stamp your feet repeatedly on the floor trying to get control of yourself? Didn't Jesus say we should love our enemies? Yes, he did. But the Jews don't believe in Jesus, which is a good reason not to threaten to blow them off the face of the earth if you don't want 62 of them to show up outside your convoy and empty their machine guns into your face. Personally, I always greet Jews with a friendly smile, just to stay on the safe side. But in fact, I'm not really laughing at the death of this would-be nuclear terrorist whose unpronounceable last name began with F-A-K, FAC. So we'll just call him FACHEAD or FACFACE or FAC you, you've just been killed by an Israeli hit squad. No, I'm laughing at the leftists who lamented the event. Former CIA mole John Brennan, for instance, condemned the hit as, quote, an act of state-sponsored terrorism and a, quote, flagrant violation of international law. Now, many people heard that and asked, why is it that John Brennan always sides with America's enemies? It's a tough question, like, why does Dracula always side with vampires? Why do journalists always side with idiots? Or what's so funny about a dead Iranian nuke maker? <laughs> Life is full of mysteries. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. We are back. For those few of you who survived the long, uh, clavenless weekend, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving in the darkness where there was great wailing and gnashing of teeth. I hope you gathered with family and friends and put a little sign outside your door that said, Happy Thanksgiving, with a finger stuck up at the authorities uh, for telling you to stay home. Uh, Please go over to YouTube. uh, Subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. You might want to hit that little bell and I will show up at your house magically. It's like it's kind of like when you rub a bottle and a genie shows up, you hit that bell. I just appear. I pop out of your toaster usually. Uh, Well done to medium rare and uh, we'll deliver fresh content to your kitchen. Uh, Ready, ready, cooked. Leave a comment. Uh, I'll read you the comment for today. Leave a a comment. And if it's sufficiently uh, absurd, we will include it on the show as fitting right into the rest of the commentary. Uh, Here we have a comment from Kevin Singh, who says, I just came here to say Matt Walsh isn't funny. Now, that's a little extreme. I I think Matt is a witty guy with a, you know, good sense of humor uh, when he's had a few. But like, you know, I I just was reacting to the factually, the disinformation that was going on, baseless claims. You know, if if you put this on Twitter and say that Matt Walsh is funnier than I am, they actually put a little thing saying many experts dispute uh, this claim. So uh, I was just arguing about that. Uh, just, you know, just science. It's the science. You want to follow the science. Most of the comments I'm getting are uh, attacking me and I think Ben and the Daily Wire for not sufficiently believing in Donald Trump's claims that the election was stolen. And I'll definitely be talking about that today. So you can leave more angry comments later. But I do, I do have things to say about it. I've just I've kept an open mind and I continue to keep an open mind. 
So it is the holiday season, which means we will all be online buying stuff. Apparently, this is a record-breaking holiday season, and that means you're going to be exposed to the danger of identity theft more than you usually are, and you want to get LifeLock to protect yourself. LifeLock Identity Theft protection. Not all websites are on Santa's nice list. You want to know if your personal information has been potentially exposed or found on the dark web. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit card and bank statements, but with LifeLock, you have the leader in identity theft protection watching out for you. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web, and they will notify you if they see a problem. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help you feel protected this holiday season. The best sale of the year is happening now. Save up to 30% off your first year at LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's 30% off at LifeLock.com slash Clavin. This sale ends November 30th, which is today, so you want to find out immediately how you spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. The aftershock of this last election, on the other hand, is bringing a strain of conservative thought to the surface that is, I think, truly unhelpful. Uh, it's, it's not, I'm, I'm receiving a lot of mail from people who say if Trump leaves office, if he does leave office, everything is over. The country is lost. The left is won. So socialism will now destroy all our freedoms. And listen, I'm in the same election funk as most conservatives. I prayed for Trump to win, and he didn't. And life includes wins and losses, and the losses feel bad. And I think a certain pessimism is natural to the conservative mindset. We know that all the good we've built is, is built on our traditions and on traditional practices, and we fear that if those traditions change, as all traditions change, we fear that the entire structure will collapse with it. And there's wisdom in that. There's wisdom in thinking that way. Attempts to bring about radical change almost always lead to disaster. The idea that a new moral order can be created out of whole cloth or that we can somehow change and perfect human nature with just the right new system are the ideas of know-nothing children and leftists, but I repeat myself. But the idea that every battle is Armageddon, that every loss is the loss of everything, that we cannot possibly live to fight another day or continue to fight the long-term war that will create a culture of freedom and patriotism, that's taking pessimism beyond actual realism. It may be that America ends forever with the end of the Trump administration. That's one possible scenario, but it's not the most likely scenario, not by a long shot. It's far more likely that we fight back and win another time and lose another time and continue our zigzagging history for at least another generation. What does despair, on the other hand, accomplish? If there are victories yet to be won, who win them? The people who give up or the people who fight on and hope? If there's joy left to experience in American life, who will experience? Who will experience it? The person who collapses in defeat or the warrior who regroups and rallies and flies back to the attack. Whatever you believe about the legitimacy of this election, the chance of its being overturned grows smaller by the second. And if you think that's the end of American freedom, it may well be. But if instead you think you believe we can fight and win another day, then we can and we probably will. I'm going to come back to this killing in Iran. It says a lot of stuff about the way the people who are coming into power and the way the news is reported. And the reason so many people are upset about the legitimacy of the election, it was right out of Daniel Silva, the killing. It was amazing. But first, I want to talk about something far more important to the mainstream media, and that's Joe Biden's cat. You may have heard uh, that old Joe, ancient Joe, old Uncle Joe, he fell down while playing with his dog, a German shepherd, and he has hairline fractures on his ankle and will need a walking boot uh, if uh, he, as long as he keeps a taster there and anything Kamala Harris gives him, uh, he feeds to his dogs first. The dogs won't be around too long. 
But here's the big story from the Hill. The country may see a first cat in the White House for the first time in years after President-elect Joe Biden takes office. Here is CBS Sunday Morning's Jane Pauley reporting this shattering news. Cut 13. And now some breaking news. President-elect Joe Biden and his wife Jill won't just be bringing their German shepherds, Major and Champ, to the White House. The Bidens tell us exclusively that soon they'll be joined by a cat. Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking, well, shouldn't they be covering, you know, Biden's appointments to his cabinet? But don't worry, they're covering that as well. Here's a sample of the press covering the cabinet appointments. It's cut four. I'd like to start on the historic nature of some of, of Joe Biden, the president-elect's pick. The team that, that Biden has put forward is incredibly qualified, perhaps the most qualified cabinet that we're ever going to have. A historic appointment. History-making. A historic first. That's historic. Mm-hmm. Also historic. Historic. It's another historic uh, pick there. Is there any one of these picks in particular that kind of stands out, out to you? I think they're all outstanding. They are experienced. They are well-prepared. Boy, how refreshing is that? And it's very refreshing. I was talking to a Democrat who just said this also felt like the Avengers. It felt like we're being rescued from this this <laughs> craziness that we've all lived through from the last four years. And now here are the superheroes to come and save us all. This is like being at the end of the Wizard of Oz. Well, this is like the 1980s Celtics basketball team. Trump really had the Z team. This is really the A team. Uh, the A team for the country. <laughs> so so he's got a cat and the A-team Avengers are coming in to save the day in his cabinet appointments. And just just to compare, I just went on and kind of typed into YouTube news media reaction to Donald Trump's election. And here is Richard Engel, who is I think it's NBC, maybe CBS. I think it's NBC. Richard Engel. But he's a this is a reporter. This is not a commentator. This is a reporter reporting on Donald Trump's election af- right after he was elected. Cut 14. Assuming, and that's what we're talking about, that he does win, um, people I'm speaking to think it's absolutely catastrophic, that it's catastrophic for the United States, that it's catastrophic for our position in the world. It emboldens our enemies and adversaries. It makes our allies terrified that we're not going to be their allies anymore. Most people think that this type of scenario uh, happens. (laughs) But what kind of pet does he have? (laughs) You know, maybe the ugliest thing the press did, I mean, it wasn't obviously the most effective or dishonest or terrible uh, or cruel, but it was the most petty, was not putting Melania on any fashion car. I mean, this beautiful fashion model, first lady uh, who speaks five languages and goes around talking to uh, children all over the world in their own language, and they couldn't put her on one fashion magazine. So now they want to know Why are so many people convinced this election was stolen when we keep saying it wasn't? And they want to know, why won't people wear masks? Why won't you wear masks when we tell you? Why did people go to Thanksgiving when we told them not to? And the answer is because you're lying dogs. And the thing is, we are having a crisis in this country, but it's not the crisis you may think it is. It's a crisis of disinformation. It makes it impossible, impossible to know what to believe. And so we believe what we want. So let's go back for a minute. We're going to get to the election, but let's go back to this Iranian assassination. It was incredibly cool. And, you know, I <laughs> I don't like to dance on the grave of a guy who was trying to blow another country off the face of the map. Well, wait a minute. Do I? Uh, well, probably not dance. I mean, but I, I'm having a hard time working up the requisite uh, grief over this, although there's plenty of grief on the left about this. But it was really amazing, right? This guy is in, he's in Iran, right? 62 people 
pounced on his six-vehicle uh, caravan. His name is Mosin Fakhrizadeh. Fakhrizadeh. We just call him Fakface. But, but the thing is, he's got the Israelis, of course, deny all. They deny any kind of part in this. They always deny. They never say they did this. But it sounds pretty likely that they did. At 50 people were giving logistical support in country, right? And then a dozen, the dirty dozen, carried out the actual assassination. They had uh, obviously some kind of special training as well as security and intelligence services. Uh, the team knew exactly the date and course of the movement of the Fakhrizadeh protection convoy to the smallest details. Shortly after he drove through the ambush site, the, the team cut off the electricity completely from this area to slow reports of the assassination. And then he calls for help. I'm reading this out of the New York Post. Uh, he was traveling, in, the nuclear guy was traveling in the middle of three bulletproof cars and the killers struck after the first car entered a roundabout. They then set off a car bomb that separated the other cars uh, from the main car and then attacked the guy's car and shot him and then dragged him out of the car and shot him to make sure he was dead. It was it's truly a Daniel. I don't know if you ever read these Daniel Silva uh, thrillers about a Mossad agent, a Mossad assassin, essentially. But this is the kind of thing that happens in these thriller novels. And it was it was real life. This comes after I don't know if you remember when they went into the warehouse uh, of the Iranians and took out their nuclear archives to show that they were in fact building nuclear weapons. And I don't know if you remember Baby Netanyahu parading that stuff out there. An amazing, amazing piece of uh, espionage. And in June, there were uh, big explosions at the uranium en enrichment site in Natanz. Uh, and those were probably Israelis too. Uh, Mark Garrick, a former uh, Iranian targets officer in the CIA, wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal today saying Israel has been lethally penetrating the Islamic Republic for at least a decade. Uh, Mossad now appears to have stationary surveillance and hit teams positioned in the country, <laughs> Israel has teams living in the country. And he goes on to say, given the level of internal dissent, which has spread even among children of the original Iranian revolutionaries, it's possible Israel has acquired valuable agents in Iran's armed forces and security services. In other words, these guys are so oppressive that even the people in the Iran, the, even the Iranians, may be helping the Israelis to take them out. So here are the tweets from our friends on the left uh, reacting to this. Former national security aide Ben Rhodes, we all remember Ben Rhodes, he's the guy who laughed in the face of the New York Times, who laughed along with them in their own face, uh, telling them how stupid journalists were to have bought in to their narrative that they were negotiating with moderates in the Iranian regime to get the Iranian nuclear deal that Barack Obama wanted and that they have been telling us, I believe, falsely stopped the Iranian nuclear program. Even if that were true, it would only do it to 2030, which is no time at all, 2031, which is no time at all. But the fact that it, the inspection regime was a joke makes me believe that, no, of course, they were still going about their business. And the New York Times keeps saying the Iranians insist that they're only building their nuclear power for peaceful purposes because they'll have peace once they blow Israel off the face of the map. So Ben Rhodes writes, this is an outrageous, I have to do it in an outraged voice, this is an outrageous action aimed at undermining diplomacy between an incoming U.S. administration and Iran. It's time for the ceaseless escalation to stop. This is the cycle of violence. It's the cycle of violence because 
Israel fights back. That's that's when it's a cycle of violence. When it's Iran doing it, it's not a cycle of violence. It's just a line of violence, but it becomes a cycle when Israel fights back for its own survival. Here's from former CIA director John Brennan, who I, <laughs> I shouldn't say it, but I called him, I called him former mole uh, John Brennan. Uh, and he says, uh, this was a criminal act of high. He's, he's such a pompous ass, this guy. This was a criminal act and highly reckless. It risks lethal retaliation and a new round of regional conflicts. Iranian leaders would be wise to wait for the return of responsible American leadership on the global stage and to resist the urge to respond against perceived culprits. Uh, you know, th- these are the same people who you remember when Donald Trump killed the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, one of the biggest terrorists on earth. He killed them. These were the guys going, oh, this is going to start a war. This is terrible, the retaliation. And the Iranians didn't do much of anything because they knew that they were dealing with a crazy man who would blow them off the face of the map. They didn't like that idea. So Barbara Slavin in the New York Times, she uh, comes out. She's from the Future of Iran Initiative, big Iran booster. And she says, when Israel engineered the assassinations of a half dozen Iranian nuclear scientists from 2010 to 2012, supporters of these killings argued they would help slow a nuclear program at a time when multilateral diplomacy was showing little progress. But this comes, this killing comes in a very different context. Uh, they, basically what she's saying, why did they do this? They said, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, with the support of President Trump, seems intent on scorching the earth to make it harder for any return to diplomacy under President-elect Joe Biden. So in other words, they think that Netanyahu is undermining uh, Biden instead of just jumping on a moment. Either one of those is possible. It's possible he is sees this anti-Israel. Uh, it's all the Obama people coming back on, to- on line. Here is Slavin, the same woman, after they declared the Iran Revolutionary Guard in 2019, they declared it a terrorist organization because it was a terrorist organization, but it was historic, as the press would say. It was historic because it was the first time they're part of the Iranian military. It was the first time part of a national military was declared a terrorist organization. And here she is reacting to that cut 15. I think it's problematic for a number of reasons. First of all, it's unnecessary. Uh, The IRGC is already designated by the Treasury Department of the United States, which means that uh, no American business, no uh, foreign business that does business with the United States can have anything to do with an IRGC commercial entity. So it doesn't really add anything in terms of U.S. enforcement uh, or of this maximum pressure campaign against Iran. So it's gratuitous. But on the other hand, it's provocative to designate the entire military establishment of a foreign country as terrorist is an unprecedented step and it uh, it invites retaliation. You almost think that the Trump administration wants Iran somehow to take an aggressive action against American troops or other American targets uh, to justify uh, some sort of hostile, even greater hostility with Iran. So, you know, is it an election gift, a pre-election gift to, to Bibi or just more anti-Iran propaganda? I'm frankly scratching my head over why this was done. You know, this, meal, this kind of mealy mouth, I'm scratching my head over why a terrorist organization was declared a terrorist organization. The fear of retaliation that we're going to be attacked by Iran who, you know, we could seriously talk about wiping countries off the face of the earth. We could take them out in a moment. Uh, you know, it just it just seems that this is reflective. It re- it's reflective of a wide range of opinion. There's a lot 
of anti-Semitism on the left right now. There's a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism and looking the other way from when Rashid Tlaib uh, promotes a tweet saying we want Palestine to be free from the river to the sea, which is saying we want Israel to be wiped out. That's what it's saying. She, we, she wants all those Jews killed uh, and that country destroyed. And that is, they refuse to condemn this. And it all, But it also is this just false idea that Iran will change if we're nice to them. It is, it's imperialist narcissism. It is the idea that everybody is reacting to us instead of reacting out of their own philosophies and their own lives. This is a, a good action. It should be celebrated by America. America should be thrilled to see its ally and fellow free nation Israel fighting for its own survival and with this kind of talent uh, and efficiency. So here's a story out of Nashville. One of our producers, I, I don't know his name. I don't bother to learn these little people's names. No, I know his name, but I'm not going to give it to you. But one of our producers moved into a new place. And nearby, there was a house that was doing some renovations under construction. And he sent me on a text, he sent me a video of this house burning to the ground, just absolute destruction. But because the neighbors had a ring doorbell, they got video of the kids who went in and set this house on fire. And now they have the video to prove what happened. Ring doorbells will protect your house, will help you to protect your house during this busy holiday uh, season. You can look at the app no matter where you are and see who's at your door. If it's like some big fat guy in a red suit with a long white beard, call the police immediately. Uh, but you can test that. Ring has everything you need to keep an eye on your home this holiday season and throughout the year. And you can see and speak to whoever is at your door from anywhere with video doorbells. For a limited time, you go to ring.com forward slash Clavin to receive special Black Friday and Cyber Monday offers. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. You have mere hours to figure out how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. No E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. This is the problem when we're dealing with this election challenge. We've got these buffoons coming in to the office, and they're very smart buffoons, and they're very well-educated, credentialed buffoons. And we've got the press telling us that Israel has done a terrible, terrible thing by killing a guy who's really wanted to be a nuclear terrorist. That is what he wanted to be. They killed a nuclear terrorist, like ho-hum, right? It's like not a big deal as far as we're concerned, as far as, as, far as the morality of it is concerned. They are lying and lying about everything, and they're wrong. And the things they're not lying about, they're actually wrong about. So what do we do when a guy who was a great president, he was an eccentric president, we got to say it, but he was a terrific president, Donald Trump starts saying, you know, that this election is stolen. What do we believe? How do we, how do we get at the truth? You know, how do we know uh, what we're supposed to think about these very, very extraordinary claims? Now, I'm not going to tell you that extraordinary claims need extraordinary proof, but they need proof. And here's where Trump starts, where he says the thing that we all know is true. This is cut three. It's a situation the likes of which we don't have freedom of the press in this country. We have suppression by the press. They suppress. You know, you can't have a scandal if nobody reports about it. He's talking about, obviously, about the Hunter Biden laptop scandal that the press suppressed. And he's wrong that we don't have freedom of the press in this country. We have freedom of the press, but the press is misusing that freedom to suppress information that goes against the corporate global uh, globalist idea that they're all so, so in favor of. But Trump also goes on to say this. This is cut seven. This is total fraud. And how the FBI and Department of Justice, I don't know, maybe they're involved, but how people are allowed to get away from this stuff with this stuff is unbelievable. This election was rigged. This election was a total fraud. And it continues to be 
as they hide. And the problem we have, we go to judges and uh, people don't want to get involved. Uh, the media doesn't even want to cover it. <laughs> well, and, and this is the thing. He's right about that. But he just threw off the claim that the, the FBI and the Department of Justice uh, are involved in this. And listen, under Obama, the FBI was untrustworthy. The FBI spied on a campaign. Uh, they they railroaded Michael Flynn. Trump pardoned Michael Flynn, which is an excellent, excellent thing. It was an absolute, that was an absolute miscarriage of justice, what was happening to that guy. It was absolutely wrong. He was manipulated into confessing to lying to the FBI when even the FBI who interviewed him said they did not think he was lying. He may have made a misstatement at one point, but he, they, even the agent said he wasn't lying, but they railroaded him and really destroyed him and threatened to destroy, go after his son so that he would confess. And Trump did the absolute right thing by letting him off. So we don't trust the FBI and we don't trust the CIA, but it's an ex extravagant claim to say that they were manipulating this election. And we, as citizens, right, we should, we remember that Trump throws these things off. He says, you know, Ted Cruz's father killed Kennedy. Uh, he says Obama was born in Kenya, which Obama was not born in Kenya. Obama was a terrible president, but he was born in Hawaii. So we've got that on the one side that we're listening to. We know, you know, that he says these things off the top of his head. And then we've got a press that answer, that reports on all this stuff by saying baseless claims, baseless claims. Every single story, they say baseless claims. And I think, well, wait a minute. Who did you call to get that so confirmed that you can use that adjective, just throw it away like that, baseless claims? These are Trump's claims. You don't know they're baseless. You haven't proved they're baseless. So we, how are we supposed to? These are the same guys who lied about Russia collusion. They lied about they lied about Brett Kavanaugh. They lied most terribly, I think, in some ways about Tara Reid. They suppressed that story. They suppressed the Biden laptop story. Uh, and and now they're using these kind of Scott Adams, uh, you know, convince convincing techniques. It's baseless. It's a baseless claim. Watch the finger. It's a baseless claim. If you're getting sleepy. It's a baseless claim. But it doesn't mean that the claims are true, right? That's where we're stuck. And that's a genuine crisis of information because, you know, this is a great country. This is a country that everybody looks to for hope. This is when the Hong Kong wants to be free. They wave American flags. If we in this country start to think that this is a banana republic and we really can't trust these elections and we can't even know whether the questions being asked, the uh, asked about these elections are being given a fair hearing, that's bad for the whole world. So there was a hearing last week in the Pennsylvania Senate. The Republicans in the Pennsylvania Senate had a hearing and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna uh, Ellis, our friend, was there. And they brought on this guy, uh, Phil Waldron, who says he's an expert. And here is he here's Giuliani questioning Waldron in front of this committee about a spike in the votes that he found that Waldron found suspicious as cut 16. When you look at this entire curve with all these spikes, can you calculate how, how, how much of a vote that accounted for for Biden and how much for Trump? Close to 600,000. I think our, our figures were about 570 some odd thousand that uh, all those spikes represent over time. For Biden? Correct. And how much for Trump? Uh, I think it was a little over 3,200. <laughs> so you hear the audience, there's a very pro-Trump audience, there's a Republican event. It's happening. And you hear that audience react with this gasp. And there's a lot of this going on on Twitter. People are tweeting this stuff to me and emailing it to me all the time. Uh, somebody says, this is a fact. It's not a fact. It's an assertion. But it's also something that, but also these spikes do happen. And the idea that they are necessarily suspicious, 
as I, you know, they they happen all the time. He says at the beginning, Waldron says this, you're just supposed to see a, a steady climb. But that's not true because they count the uh, they count the votes and then dump them in. They ha- they make mistakes. There are mistakes that are not necessarily fraud. But all right. Th- you know, this is an assertion the guy is making uh, that this is suspicious, that this is uh, evidence of, of fraud. Here's Chris que- Krebs, who is a Republican, who was assigned by the White House to watch over the security of the election and came out and said, no, this was a very secure election and was fired summarily for saying that. And he's on 60 Minutes. Of course, they love him. They bring him on. Uh, this cut 18. Paper ballots give you the ability to audit, to go back and check the tape and make sure that you got the count right. And that's really one of the keys to success for a secure 2020 election. 95% of the ballots cast in the 2020 election had a paper record associated with it. Compared to 2016, about 82%. And with a paper record, you can go back and verify what the machine is saying by physically counting the paper. That gives you the ability to prove that there was no malicious algorithm or hacked software that adjusted the tally of the vote. And this has been done and where it's been done, they found that the vote was pretty accurate in in one place. Biden got like 80 more votes or something like this. And then they start saying, well, what about the names? And, you know, there's always going to be something that they don't approve of. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's Alison Camarota and John Berman on CNN reacting to Krebs. Okay, this is cut 17. These are the people who are supposed to bring us the news and they're reacting to Krebs. Cut 17. I don't know if you got to see the whole 60 Minutes uh, interview, but... (laughs) You could not have found a more sensible, sane sounding person to with, walk us with a deeper voice, with a, with a, with a fabulous radio voice. And, and the muscles on the guy. I mean, there's just and there's the profile. What a beautiful chiseled. Pro- I mean, how can you even take clowns like this? Dishonest, corrupt non-servicing clowns. And what I mean is they're not servicing the people. They're not doing their job, which is to report the news. When they're sitting there talking about what a wonderful voice this guy has because he happens to agree with them. So, you know, how can I, I don't blame anybody for sitting and listening to this and thinking, this is crap, this is garbage. And, And by the way, I just want to point out that the people who believe that the, the election was stolen and I are, are coming from the same emotional place. We're both disappointed. We're both unhappy with the outcome. We both wish the outcome had gone another way. And so there's no, there's no, you know, one of the things that happens in these situations is that every single person who disagrees with you becomes the villain, becomes a coward, becomes the guy who's just lying down. Oh, you're not fighting. You're not fighting. Well, let me explain to you where I am at this point, right? Because I have an open mind, but right now, they, the, the Trump legal team has not once gone into a court of law and alleged fraud. Not once. Not once. They've gone into Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan. They have been asked directly by judges, was this fraud? And each and every single time they have said, no, this was not fraud. Each and every time. They allege fraud when they're on Twitter. They allege fraud when they're on television. They allege fraud when they're before a group, a, a hearing in like the one in Pennsylvania before a Republican group. But when they are in a court of law, they not only don't allege fraud, they specifically say this was not fraud. Why? Because there are legal penalties for claiming fraud in a court of law and not being able to prove it. You know, 
the, the, in Pennsylvania, two courts, one with an Obama judge and one with Republican judges and a Trump judge, they threw the lawsuit out and not only threw it out, they just absolutely ripped into the Trump team for making these extraordinary claims without any proof at all. The proof that you're seeing, the evidence that you're seeing on Twitter, on television, on these hearings is not what the judges are seeing. And the reason is, is that they can't go into a court of law and make these claims unless they have proof that will stand up or at least a little bit stand up. When you look at the proof closely, it doesn't so far. So you ask me, when am I going to be convinced? When am I going to get on the team? When am I going to stand up? And the answer is when they walk into a court of law and make these claims that they're making in public. Why shouldn't I support them until they do that? Why shouldn't I support them until I'm actually convinced? I'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, you know, one of the things I really dislike is when you have to join a professional organization or a personal interest organization, and they have an agenda that's not your agenda. I have this situation on one of the uh, work organizations I have to join in order to do what I do, and they support things I don't like. You will not have that program, that problem with the Association of Mature American Citizens. You know there are people who come to you to join uh, senior citizen organizations that do not support the things you support. But if you want to help preserve America, you can join AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. It's the fastest growing conservative group in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a great bi-monthly magazine, and they are out there defending America. That's amac.us forward slash Clavin. The benefits of AMAC membership are great, but the cause is even greater. Join today at amac.us forward slash Clavin. And of course, it's easy to spell AMAC, but how do you spell Clavin? That's what you want to know. And I'm just so old, I forgot. No, I didn't. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Let me talk about something even more important, which is how you can save money and subscribe. If you missed out on our Black Friday deal, let us relieve your fear of missing out anxiety because today only you can join a daily, as a Daily Wire member for 50% off with code DW50 over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. We are doing a Black Monday repeat. Since last year's deal, we've added so many more features and products to our membership program. We've added more exclusive Reader's Pass content. Our insider and above members can now stream our content on Apple TV and Roku, which is huge because we're adding more content every day, like bringing the Michael Knowles show on five days a week, uh, starting December 4th. And if you pay the extra bit, we'll only put it on three days a week. And if you're an all-access member, you get to join all Access Live, our exclusive daily live streams with me or one of the other hosts where we talk directly with you about anything. Those shows are great. I love doing those. We may not be able to offer this deal again next year, so be sure to become a member today using coupon code DW50 over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. So why don't I just sign on for this? You know, there's a there's a quote. I, I never can quote anything from memory, but there's a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, where he said, if you look uh, for truth, you may find comfort. But if you look for comfort, you won't find truth. You'll ultimately find despair. So we're looking here for truth. We all want to be comforted. We all suffer the loss. We all suffer the same thing. 
No one can look into my eyes and say that I won't fight a fight that needs to be fought. There's not one single person who knows me or listens to me who will say that. So you, you can't pull that on me. You know, you can't say, oh, you're a traitor. Oh, you're a coward. It's just, it's just not going to wash. That's not going to wash. I'm just looking at the evidence, which, as I say, they are putting forward assertions. They're making assertions off out of court. But in court, they repeatedly say this is not fraud. This is Rudy has says this, said this, and a couple of other lawyers for the Trump team, they have all said this is not fraud. On the day that they go into court and say it was fraud, then we'll have to listen to the proof. Then we'll actually take a look at that. And, you know, again, I have an open mind. I'd be delighted if they pulled this off. Right now, my prediction is the Supreme Court, which is what they keep saying, we're trying to work to the Supreme Court. My prediction is the Supreme Court won't even hear it. Um, that, that, that may not be true. I'm not a lawyer, but that's the way it looks to me because I don't think the court will hear it if they don't think the election is actually going to be overturned. The Trump team has a case in Pennsylvania, by the way. I keep saying this, but I know nobody hears this, but the Trump team has a case in Pennsylvania where a court changed the rules when only the legislature constitutionally is supposed to change the rules to, say, to allow people to send in undated late votes that would be counted up to three days after the vote. That probably is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court would probably overturn that if they thought the election depended upon it. But if it doesn't depend on it, they probably will just not even look at it. That's, that's what it looks like to me right now. So here's the problem. Here's, here's what Trump says. This is cut two. It's going to be a very hard thing to concede because we know there was massive fraud. So as to whether or not I can get this apparatus moving this quickly, because time isn't on our side. Everything else is on our side. Facts are on our side. This was a massive fraud. This should never take place in this country. We're like a third world country. We're a third world country. It's a massive fraud. You know, there's been a lot of like stuff that he said, too, that like, he he said that there were 1.8 million. Did you, you guys hear this? Was 1.8 million mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania uh, mailed out, and 2.6 million were ultimately tallied. That, that's just not true. It's just not true. Uh, there were 1.8 mail-in mail-in ballots requested in the primary, and 1.5 million came back. And there were 3.1 million ballots requested in the general election, and 2.6 million uh, came back. Listen, there's always shenanigans with this particular election and all the mail-in votes, there was probably more shenanigans, but that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about millions of votes changing sides, software and mail-in votes and people, you know, all kinds of different charges, none of which they have made in a court. So Trump is signaling here. He says, you know, we know there was massive fraud and it was rigged and we're a third world country, uh, but we may not have time to prove it. That means that at no point is he going to say, I legitimately lost this election. And by the way, and again, I know I'm making you angry. I know I'm, I'm annoying you. It's, I, and I hate, to, I hate to do it. I really do. I mean, it's just, it's very, it's, it's very difficult. But I just want to tell you where I'm standing and why, why I'm standing here. Um, you know, the, the election, if you look at the patterns in the election, they basically aped exactly the patterns of 2016, except there was more turnout and more people showed up to vote uh, everywhere. and certain districts, mostly in the suburbs, Trump lost votes. So that's that's basically what happened. People showed up to vote against Trump because I'm sure nobody voted for Biden. That would be absurd. So things look in order for this to have been the massive fraud that Trump says it was, it would have had to have been a, you know, beyond what the Israelis did in Iran. It would have had to have been a, an incredible uh 
genius coordination between different countries and the people who manufacture the software and little grandmas who are counting votes in, in small counties. It would have had to have been an incredibly coordinated uh, effort as opposed to the usual human stupidity and competence, which is what we normally see in, life, in regular life. So now we've got this election in Georgia and Everything depends on it. You want to talk about what's something where everything depends on it. The next four years, at least two years, are going to be defined by what happens in Georgia. Okay? That is what's what we're facing right now. What happens in Georgia is going to be everything. If we win even one of the runoff elections in Georgia, if a Republican wins even one of them, then basically Mitch McConnell is going to be the president of the United States. Okay? Mitch McConnell is going to have the domestic agenda in his hand. And Joe Biden, who is a longtime political negotiator, is going to negotiate. That's what that's what will happen until Joe Biden falls over his other dog, lands on his cat. The cat scratches him and he's taken to the hospital. And what's her name? Kamala Kamala becomes uh, president. And so until that moment, uh, Joe Biden will be negotiating with Mitch McConnell. So Ronald McDaniel of the RNC, the head of the RNC, is in Georgia trying to get people to come out and vote. And this is what one of the voters says to her. This is cut 11. How are we going to give money and work when it's already decided? It's not decided. This is the key. It's not decided. First of all, David Perdue still has a 100,000 vote to a lead over John Ossoff right now with the... With the with the certification. So if you lose your faith and you don't vote and people walk away, that's that will decide it. OK, <laughs> she says that if you couldn't hear what the, the voter was saying to Rona McDaniel, she was saying, why should we vote when it's all rigged, when it's already decided? And Rona McDaniel, when asked about the Dominion software, she said, I haven't seen any evidence of that. I haven't seen any evidence of massive fraud. Nobody has seen any evidence of that. No one has. And. So they're saying, why, if it's rigged, why should we turn out and vote? And why you tell me, why should they? Why should they if it's all rigged? This is the kind of thing that we're dealing with. Now, Trump, listen, people, people loved and hated Donald Trump. And the people who loved Donald Trump loved him to the nth degree. I mean, they keep showing pictures of his incredible rallies saying, how could he lose? And the, the reason is that the people who didn't go to those rallies hated him as much as the people who did go to the rallies loved him. So if Trump is never going to say, if there's no point at which Trump is going to be convinced that Obama was born in Hawaii and Ted Cruz's father did not kill Kennedy and this election was not a major steal coordinated to the degree beyond anything we even see in thrillers, if there's no point at which he is going to admit that, even when he goes to Georgia and tells people to turn out and vote, why should they? Why should they? You know, if you look for the truth, you might find comfort. And there's lots of comfort in this election. There's lots of comfort in this election. The, the, the GOP, after being told that they were going to lose everything in the House, has come close to winning the majority in the House. They have come back in an amazing way. They are winning seats in the they, I, I think it, the last I looked at was 13, but that's an amazing victory. An amazing victory at a moment when the top of the ticket lost. All of those votes, if there were some kind of uh, dismissal of those votes, all of those votes would be recounted. They would all be changed. They, maybe we wouldn't win those many things. So there's lots of comfort to be found in the reaction of, uh, in the results of this election. But there's also pain. 
And so we find the truth, we find the pain, we face the pain, we find the comfort. You know, that's that's what, where I stand right now. Again, do I have an open mind? Absolutely. The minute Rudy or Jenna walks into a court of law and says, Your Honor, I have evidence of fraud. Here's the evidence. And it's not some guy heard something or signed something online with some of their affidavits. They keep waving those affidavits. Some of those things were collected online, which doesn't mean a thing. The minute they go into court and face the legal penalties of claiming fraud, I'll be with them. I'll be there, you know, and I'll and I'll admit, you know, I'll say, hey, it was better than I thought. Things were better than I thought. All right. A couple of other things I just want to talk about this. Excellent. Excellent. You know, a lot of people made fun of Trump supporters when they said, but Gorsuch, do you remember that? Uh, You know, when Gorsuch was the only appointment to the Supreme Court, there was Gorsuch, there was Kavanaugh, now there's Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing uh, consequential one-term presidency. That is an amazing consequential one-term presidency. But, you know, the Catholics and the Jews, the Orthodox Jews in New York sued Cuomo saying that it was unfair that he was shutting, locking them down when he wasn't locking secular businesses down. John Roberts disagreed because some of the some of the restrictions were dialed back. And so John Roberts said, well, the relief that they're asking for has already been given. So there's no point in siding with the Jews and the Catholics for freedom of religion. That's where John Roberts is. So John Roberts is a genuine waste of space at this point, because that is an indefensible decision. That's an indefensible decision. But Gorsuch went after these guys. He overturned these lockdown rules. And I, I just want to read you just a little bit of Gorsuch. So when they say, when they say to you, but Gorsuch, here it is, because he, he made that kind of crazy decision about uh, sexual um, discrimination where he said, yes, this applies to transgender people. It was, it was absurd. However, he says, government is not free to disregard the First Amendment in times of crisis at a minute, at a minimum. That amendment prohibits government officials from treating religious exercises worse than comparable secular activities unless they are pursuing a compelling interest and using the least restrictive means available. Okay, he says he says the restrictions that Cuomo put on apply even to the largest cathedrals and synagogues, which ordinarily hold hundreds. And the restrictions apply no matter what precautions are taken. However, the governor says, according to the governor, it may be unsafe to go to church but it is always fine to pick up another bottle of wine, shop for a new bike, or spend the afternoon exploring your distal points and meridians. Who knew public health would so perfectly align with secular convenience? This is really tough stuff. He says, it is time, past time, to make plain that while the pandemic poses many grave challenges, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color-coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shops but shutter churches, synagogues, and mosques. And here is Cuomo's uh, reaction, cut six. You have a different court. And uh, I think that was the statement that the court was making. Uh, so I, I would agree with those people who say it's a different court, and they wanted to make the statement that it's a different court. Uh, and uh, that's the statement they're making. Uh, I understand that. Uh, And that's to be expected. I mean, we know who he appointed to the court. We know their ideology. Cry more, you know, I mean, cry more. So the press reported this as the court overturned Cuomo's uh, lockdown of churches for the safety of all good citizens. But that's not what they said. What they said was you cannot penalize religion when you haven't penalized liquor stores, bike shops, 
all of the secular things that New York wants to keep open. I mean, what's happening here in California, the same thing is they've gone crazy on these lockdowns. I do not believe these lockdowns are necessary. I believe some, I read somewhere in Japan, more people have killed themselves, killed themselves and have died of the flu because of the lockdowns. That's the kind of thing that's happening. It's a one system, a one point system where all they're thinking about is the flu. This court is a great legacy that Trump leaves behind. The, is, the fact that when they go into Israel, they're dealing to the Middle East now and they try to restore that Iranian deal. The Middle East is not the Middle East that Obama left, which was on fire. It is a new Middle East where there's a chance of peace. That's going to change things. This is one of the this may be the most consequential one term presidency in history. I do not want to see Trump hand the media a victory on the way out. I don't want to see this lying dog faced pony soldier media get one right. Just like a stopped clock, they get one right because Trump won't back down. That's that's what I'm worried about. That is what I'm worried about. And again, my mind is open. But what I've seen so far shows me that they haven't got the goods to take into court. That's the answer. Uh, but we will be back again tomorrow. I hope you will still be here. I hope you will continue to listen as we continue to search for the truth, not what we want to hear on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm.